Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the off the wall and outrageous and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, I'm Benji Shulman. This is the New Blue Review. Welcome to the show. Nice to be back behind the mic once again between Pesach and uh, I think all the public holidays and just uh, everything else that's been going on, I haven't actually had a chance to do my show for a while. So very excited that I have the opportunity to be with you once again. By the way, uh, important to know today is World Hummus Day. In case you weren't uh, eating any hummus, today is the day to do it. Uh, I actually had some complaints. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm in the Holy Land and I, I take people to the Holy Land from time to time uh, as part of what I do. And I always get complaints when they go to the Holy Land that there is good hummus there and not good hummus here. So maybe as part of our resolution for World Hummus Day here in uh, Johannesburg, we need to find out where can you get decent hummus? Where do you find the best hummus? Do you make hummus? I, this is really what I want to know. It is World Hummus Day. How do you like to eat your hummus? What do you think of dessert hummus? I don't know. You may have seen uh, recently that there was hummus with a custard and hummus with ice cream and all sorts of things. Uh, I really want to know about your hummus experience. So yeah, that's hummus, not hummus, uh, that we're going to be talking about today. Hummus recipes, where to get best hummus. I just need all hummus related stuff from you. So if you want to let us know, 0618951019, that's the WhatsApp line. You can SMS us, 34519. Uh, email us on airchaifem.com or tweet us at airchaifem or me at uh, Benji underscore Shulman. And uh, we'll, we'll t- be happy to take any of your hummus related world hummus day suggestions. So that's, uh, important question that I have for you today. But I have a bigger and better show. We're going to be talking in a few minutes about the elections. Yes, I know you're probably sick and tired of the elections, uh, and we're not going to be doing it for too much longer. But I did want to do a bit of an analysis about what is the new parliament that's going to be sworn in, uh, what is it going to look like from a Jewish Israel perspective, because I think there's quite a lot of interesting dynamics going on at the moment. And uh, we're going to look into that and see what is going on. So in a couple of minutes, we're going to be dealing with that particular question. And then after that, we're going to be talking about a new movie on Circuit, the movie about Bram Fischer. Uh, Bram Fischer was an anti-apartheid activist going back into the 60s. Uh, but there's an interesting Jewish angle in the new show so uh, that's being made about him. So we will look into that. Then I never thought I'd say this on the show. We're going to be... Delving into the history of Hitler's typewriter. That's right, Hitler's typewriter. You heard me correct. Uh, I will say no more because uh, it is an interesting story. And uh, we definitely um, want to uh, have you hear about it. So uh, if you want to know about Hitler's typewriter, we'll be talking a bit about that. And, of course, it's Eurovision this week. Eurovision, the big song contest in Israel. Uh, game in Israel this year, at least, normally anywhere else in the world. And we'll be looking at fun facts about Eurovision and about what's going on in Israel with Eurovision. Uh, and just because it's amazing, we're going to be playing Toy, the song that got us there in the first place. Uh, Karen coming through on the SMS line saying, The best hummus ever is from Schuller's. Uh, Karen from Eden Vale. Well, thank you, Karen. I appreciate uh, your contribution on this World Hummus Day. If you agree with Karen, let us know. If you disagree with Karen, uh, you can let us know as well. 0618951019. That's our WhatsApp line. SMS us on 34519. We would be delighted for your hummus-based 
uh, content on this lovely autumn Monday morning. We're going to take a short break, and uh, when we come back, uh, we will be talking about. Uh, we'll be talking. We'll be talking about the elections. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Yeah, and uh, never mind Broadcasting Complaints Commission. Uh, if you have Hummus Complaints Commission, then you can let us know on World Hummus Day 0618951019. I am Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. Now, everybody, I'm sure, is electioned out at the moment. We finally had a very big election, and I think it was quite an important one from a variety of perspectives, which I'm sure we will be seeing over time. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, very, very interesting. I was doing some of the, the observing of the counting of the ballots, and there was a lot going on. And generally, I think happily that we had a free, fair, and generally violence uh, lacking election in general. So that is good. But now we start to g- see what is going to happen as a result of that election. And I wanted to zoom in on the parliament and particularly what what might be some of the trends in the next five years as we elect parliamentarians into the parliament over the next sort of coming week. So let's obviously start off, I guess the best place to start off is where the Jews themselves are in parliament. We have currently... <clears throat> Excuse me, three Jews in Parliament. So that is Darren Bergman, uh, Michael Bagram, and apparently Glynis Breitenbach. Now, if that doesn't sound Jewish, apparently uh, it's because she only recently found out. uh, There was a bit of a story about it, um, and apparently there's some Jewish ancestors. uh, And I know Glynis is quite uh, uh, passionate about (laughs) Jewish affairs. So you often see her at a lot of community events and that sort of thing. So uh, that is quite interesting. And uh, notably, all the Jewish parliamentarians are from the DA. And that is something that's not going to change. I haven't seen any other Jews on the list for any other party. And if those three get in, and from so far I've seen certainly Darren Bergman uh, and Glenn Breitenbach are both there from what I can tell. I haven't been able to see Michael Bagram, so we will only know in a little bit if he is still going to be on the list, uh, so that is those three, and then there's an additional one uh, called Madeleine Hilken, uh, and uh, she's most likely going to be joining the DA caucus. So if all of those stay as it is, we'll be having an extra Jew uh, in uh, the parliament, all part of the DA. So that's on the sort of most specific kind of of thing uh, in terms of just Jews. In, in the parliament. And, but of course, there's not just Jews and there's not just pro-Jewish people who are Jews in the parliament because actually there are a lot of people across all or most of the parties that are, are pro the community and pro-Israel. And so it's worth maybe starting off if you look at this analysis to see the parties that are traditionally have a more pro-Israel line, see how they did. So I would say obviously the the more pro Israel parties are obviously the DA, and then the, a lot of the smaller ones like the IFP, uh, the ACDP, uh, the FF Plus, uh, and uh, I'm trying to think if there's any others in particular, uh, I can can have a look. But let's start with some of the others. So um, the first one let's look at is the the. The ACDP. So the ACDP uh, typically had three seats in Parliament, and uh, this year 
they're going to have four seats. And so, so they've, they are one of the parties. I think there were only three or four parties that actually went up in this particular poll and they were one of them. And so they're going to have four seats in, in the parliament. They, they did much better this time around. Uh, interesting question for me. It's going to be who do they have on the Foreign Affairs Committee. So there's a committee that deals with the Foreign Affairs. And they previously had Sherilyn Dudley, who was an excellent, excellent MP, uh, and she was on that committee. And I'm not sure exactly who is going to be uh, in in this particular um, occasion on the – on, on the party electoral list and who is going to take that position. Will it be Meshu? Uh, will it be Steve Sart? Will it be two others? We're not sure. Uh, so that'll be interesting and quite an important question about who the ACDB chooses. So that's, uh, they went up. So that is a good. Um, then we have the IFP. So the IFP went up as well. They, uh, I think previously were in 10 seats and now went up to 14. So that will give them an extra voice in the parliament. And certainly we've seen during some of the events that have come up that uh, the, the IFP has always been quite strong in in its defense of Israel and its calls for peace. And uh, now Butelezi has stepped down, and uh, we'll have to see whether that is a position that continues with the IFP, although I must say uh, I, I think it will. So that will be pretty interesting. Um, the big winner of this particular election was the FF+. Plus. Uh, we had them on this show about two or three weeks before the election. So uh, they did uh, a lot better. I think they got three or four extra seats, so they're now on 10 in the assembly. Uh, and they have had a quite a pro-Israel uh, position. So uh, we had uh, Anton Alberts, who's often their spokesperson in Khateng, and he was on here as well. Sidney Anolik, uh, there was, uh, he's one of the Jewish members, and uh, they have quite a pro-Israel voice as well. So that would be uh, good. Then we have Cope. Cope was very concerned, I think, towards the sort of <laughs> latter end of the day, whether they would actually get the votes that they needed to get in. But in the end, they actually landed up with two votes and not one, or two mandates, rather. And, of course, Terra Lakota has been a very big supporter uh, of uh, the community of pro-Israel events. He, he pitches up at a, a lot of rallies and is always uh, on side. So it's good that uh, they will be there as well. So of the, the smaller pro-Israel parties, all of them actually improved their vote, with the exception of Cope, uh, who at least sort of stayed with with one less seat so that's pretty interesting now on the DA side so there are a lot of pro-Israel uh, DA uh, MPs uh, I've, I've dealt with many of them over the years and so I think that that will be you know that, that's not really going to change with this sort of parliamentary issue they didn't have a great election they had um, uh, um, they lost seats and I think there's going to be some introspection and I think depending on the, the way that the party goes will also uh, start to see potential changes in the way that they approach this issue, although I don't necessarily think that that will affect them in Parliament. Uh, I don't know if this will be a parliamentary issue. The one thing that will be a parliamentary issue is who do they choose to be their spokesperson on foreign affairs? So previously, uh, there was a woman called Kaylin who did quite a good job, uh, and the current mayor of Chwane, which is Stevens Makapalacha, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, so he was also a foreign affairs spokesman, and now he's out of parliament, and he's the mayor of Schwane. So I'm actually not sure who the DA is going to be choosing as their foreign affairs spokesman, because it has got them into trouble before uh, when they chose uh, 
a neophyte some time ago and it ended up in a bit of a catastrophe. So I do hope that they do choose somebody experienced, although looking at their list, I'm not sure if there's an obvious candidate. So it's going to be interesting to see who they choose. And that will also, I think, give us the tenor of how the DA is going to approach this issue in Parliament for the next five years. So that is uh, interesting as well. So those are kind of on the plus side. On the minus side, uh, we have uh, a sort of range of others who I think could cause some problems. So there's the ATM party, Jimmy Miney's party. I don't think that they have a particular position on this. There's Good. Uh, this is Patricia DeLille's party. I don't think she's deeply passionate about the Middle East, but she's definitely more of an anti-Israel figure. So uh, that's kind of a bit of a negative. Um, we have Al Jamar coming into the parliament for the first time, and I think this is likely to be something of a problem uh, because Al Jamar is the sort of... Uh, I want to call it the Muslim party, although that's part of their identity, but it's sort of a, a party that it says it's a, expresses Muslim interest and they certainly have had, um, um, they certainly have had an interest in, in anti-Israel stuff in the Johannesburg legisla- uh, Johannesburg legislature. So, um, there, there's a question for me what they might do in the National Assembly. So we'll have to see what they do. The AIC, I don't think there's a big issue with them. Uh, the PAC, uh, it depends on the day and it depends on the person. Uh, the UDM, Bunto Alamita is pretty fair on this, although he does have a more of a Palestinian leaning. Um, the I think the big plus, the, the big one that I think will be good, is the NFP. So the National Freedom Party was a breakaway from the IFP. And they went down from six to two votes. And some of their members have been very, very anti-Israel. They're the ones who are pushing a lot of the downgrade in parliament, etc. cetera. Uh, I don't know who's on their list because I'm not sure it was that public. Uh, but if some of their more anti-Israel members are no longer on the list, then that will be a real win for the community. And and then the last two, which you simply can't ignore, is the EFF and the ANC. So the EFF has gone up from 25 seats in the parliament to 44, uh, which is a big one. And uh, it ha- they sort of make a lot of noise, uh, of course, being the EFF. But they also recycle people pretty often. So it's kind of hard to tell who's really driving policy. Now, obviously, EFF is very anti-Israel and uh, will, if you ask them, give an anti-Israel answer. Although not all of their members always push the line that much. So it'll be interesting to see, for me, you know, who does the EFF keep around? Who stays? Who's going to be the new uh, group of people coming in? So... Uh, EFF is one to watch, especially since they are the third largest party now in the, in the National Assembly. Then, uh, of course, the fat kid in the canoe is the ANC. And, uh, so the interesting thing about the ANC is this, is that obviously their list, there were a lot of corrupt individuals and they have promised to clear them out. So whether they actually do that or not, I think, well, is something that we are, we'll wait to see. And also they've taken out a lot of their experienced MPs, um, which is, is very interesting. So normally you have people who've been in parliament for a while, the people who were heading a lot of these committees who were sort of showing the finger to Jacob Zuma. And a lot of those people have, have been removed. And it's going to be a question to see if will new people get on board? Will old people be there? What's going to actually be in terms of the ANC parliamentary list? And so if they change them, then it will be interesting to see what that outcome is. Uh, in the meantime, however, uh, you've got more inexperienced ANC people 
in the parliament, people who don't really know how this works. A lot of people are also Latuli House members. So the ANC has simultaneously tried to centralize its control of the parliamentary caucus at the same time as making it very, um, very inexperienced. And the question will be, will they be able to control parliament? Will they understand how to do it? You know, parliament has a different dynamic from the party. And so it's going to be interesting to see if they have control and uh, if they are able to, um, you know, you know, actually drive their agenda. So we're likely to see a bit of interesting dynamics in the parliament, uh, interesting dynamics in terms of where the Israel debate goes. But on the whole, uh, Israel's friends got a few more people and Israel's enemies got some uh, less. And uh, I think that that's positive. So let's see where it goes. We've got an SMS in here. Uh, what is happening with DA member Alan Fuchs? Uh, that's Michael from Gallimano. Michael, thank you so much for sending in that SMS. So I don't know exactly, uh, Michael. I think actually the last I heard, Alan Fuchs was also a Jewish member, uh, I think currently of the Johannesburg Council, might be going up to the uh, the legislature. So uh, if he does that, he'll also be joining Mervyn Sorota, who's also uh, a Jewish community member, and Jack Bloom, who will all be there. And, of course, Gauteng will be one to watch in that regard because, of course, uh, the ANC only getting 50.29%, the smallest, smallest, smallest of majorities, which means that they won't be able to pass anything if even one ANC member is sick or not around or has to take leave or whatever. So interesting to see how the ANC does what it's going to need to do there. So that is my assessment of what we're going to look like for the next five years. Um, we will uh, we will be watching, I'm sure, and giving commentary on this show in particular. Let's take a bit of a break and some music, and we'll be back just after that. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Hi, Lila there from Alando Loka on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm Benji Shulman and this is the New Blue Review. A message in from Moshe talking about our discussion on the parliament. Says, hi Benji, a lot of ANC members on a personal level aren't anti-Israel. In fact, a lot of Christian and some quite pro. So where does the anti-Israel agenda come from? That's a very interesting question. And Moshe, uh, perhaps one that can start to be answered by our next discussion point. So uh, thank you very much. By the way, still is World Hummus Day, so if you want to let me know where to get the world's best hummus, uh, at least in Johannesburg, please, please, please uh, help me out here, 0618951019, uh, or you can SMS us on 34519. And uh, the reason I say that uh, we have to look at this issue from a different perspective is you need to go back in time and have a look and see what was... Uh, Israel, uh, not Israel, the ANC really like uh, and what were some of its founding attitudes towards all sorts of problems. And something that will help to do this is a new movie out called Act of Defiance. Uh, and it's a fascinating new movie that's uh, actually was produced in 2017. It's been doing the rounds on the international film circuit and has recently come to South Africa, Cinema Nouveau and uh, the Bioscope and these sorts of places. And what is it all about? So it is about the Vervonia trial, and uh, in particular, the role played by one Bram Fisher. Uh, Bram Fisher was not Jewish, he was an Afrikaans man, and uh, he was a really, really interesting character because he was, in some levels, like Afrikaans royalty. He had uh, relatives who had been the president of the 
uh, Orange Free State or the Transvaal Republics. And uh, his his uh, that was a grandfather, a father who was a judge president of the of of the judges, and he was a very very strong lawyer and chairman of the bar association. So he was a prominent Afrikaans man, but he was leading a double life because in the background he was actually a committed Stalinist and committed communist, and he was the underground chairman of the Communist Party in South Africa. And uh, also connected very much with the ANC and Mkontoway Seaswear. And the film goes about showing the story of what happened to the ANC and Bram Fischer in particular when the high command of Mkontoway Seaswear were arrested uh, in Ravonia. Now, if you've ever done, if you've ever not been rather, uh, and gone to Lily's Leaf Farm in Ravonia, which is now a museum, I would really encourage you to do it as one of the better apartheid uh, sites. It's very interactive. You can listen to things. It's not at all, at all like a museum. And it's very worthwhile going to. But if you don't get a chance to go to Lily's Leaf, you can at least watch the movie. And the movie is all about the trial and uh, and what happened to the members and what the strategy was and it's a sort of two long two hour long uh, engagement on the issues of the day and what's going on and how do you have a sort of legal thriller with legal strategy attached to it particularly around this uh, personage of, um, of of Bram Fischer. Now from a Jewish angle it's quite interesting because there were Jews on every single side of this particular court- courtroom drama. Uh, all the white defendants in the Ravonia trial were Jewish, um, and the defense team uh, had Jews on it, and the prosecuting team had Jews on it. So the Jews were represented in the entire spectrum of uh, of the discussion. And it's very interesting to see, because they highlight uh, that aspect of it quite a lot, and... Um, the Jewish communists obviously were the ones who were being, uh, you know, uh, being part of it because all, all the people who were within controversies were communists and they were also Jews. And then of course there was the issue of the apartheid regime and sort of anti-Semites, uh, who were in the Nats and you had Jewish liberals who were on the defense team. So it's interesting to watch that dynamic and see how uh, that is still reflected in our community today. Uh, by the way, there's actually a fantastic book on this um, called Ravonia's Children, which uh, they reference quite a lot in the movie as well. So if you ever want to read a book about this, uh, which also looks at the Jewish angle, it's worth it's worthwhile understanding it. Uh, I don't want to give away too much more, but that is um, that is what the movie is all about. Good points about the movie, a, a whole range of things. It is incredibly well shot. Um, it took a lot of painstaking, uh, precaution is not really the word, but efforts rather, to make sure that it looked like the 1960s. So you've got all the cars, you've got all the fashion, you've got all the food. Uh, they, they went to all the sites. So, uh, you know, it's filmed on location in the actual, uh, courtroom where, where the, where it happened. The actors and actresses are incredible. You're talking about the creme de la creme of South African act, acting fraternity. Uh, Sylvain Strike is part of it. Um, there's a number of others. I'm not so good with actors names, but if you, if you went on to the movie, you'll see people who you'll recognize from our local soapies and, uh, our local uh, acting fraternity here and there's some great cameo appearances the main actor is not uh, South African 
it's actually a Dutch South African uh, conducted thing. So the main actor is actually Dutch, but he, you can't tell the difference. He's actually excellent. So that's great. Uh, acting is fantastic. The sets and costumes and all that sort of thing is, is, uh, fantastic. I, I did have a bit of a gripe with, um, with some of the the historical accuracy in general terms this is a very accurate movie and they and they do a lot you know they they there's specific aspects where they where they take in directly out of the book quotes that people said but they were also trying to make it an exciting movie and so they've compressed it so they've taken out some of the defense team sometimes Bram Fisher ends up saying things which were actually said by other members of the defense team and so if you're a historical buff like me it doesn't make sense why would he be saying that Uh, and and I also think they may have put in one or two scenes because there are scenes there that I've never seen before in my life I've never seen referenced before in my life Uh, and so now that has headed sent me heading for the historical books to see if they were correct they also have this obsession with Operation Maibuye, which was the guerrilla campaign, and according to them, they said that um, the 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 you know the people in the show, uh, had, all the all the ANC or the SACP communists were had already adopted that plan, uh, and I don't think that there's any historical basis for that. So, so there's some historical graphs on my side, but I do think it's worth going to see. It's a slow legal drama, and it's interesting because you get to see some of the foundation of the ANC. And to Moshe's question, perhaps. An insight into some of the politics. So that's Act of Defiance uh, at cinemas. I would definitely recommend it. Don't take a short break. We'll be back just after this. To Coffee Addicts, I'm Adila, but you know me as Shmuel from Josie Blue. Are you hungry? I know we are to serve you. All our grab and go is made daily from the best quality fresh ingredients for you to enjoy. Josie Blue is very focused on giving you the continuous coffee experience at 17 Northfield Avenue, Glen Hazel. See you there. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. That was Talu and by Amram Merkitz on 101.9 Chai FM. Welcome back to the show. I'm Benji Shulman. It is World Hummus Day. Let us know your hummus recipes and the places to get the hummus. 0618951019. And or one oh one nine no points there, don't put a point. Three four five one nine is the SMS line. Yeah, so that is uh World Hummus Day. Now, one of the things I love about Johannesburg is that I don't know if you know this, but one of the few cities in the world where there was a significant Jewish population at its founding. Uh, that is not the case for most cities in the world. Certainly most cities in Europe were founded before there were major Jewish populations. Uh, and so they sort of came to those cities. That's Europe. Uh, even in Israel, Jerusalem was a, a city uh, before the Jews and the Israelites got there. There were Jezebites there. Tel Aviv, you could argue, is a Jewish city, although uh, if you include Jaffa, then that's a much more ancient port. Uh, so the Holy Land doesn't have too many places. You do, f- and certainly not England uh, or Asia or even Australia, you, see, you do find it a little bit in America. The West Coast uh, had a lot of Jews at its founding, uh, particularly in some of the gold mining towns, which is exactly why Johannesburg had so many Jews, because, of course, uh, they were all miners who came from Kimberley uh, and other parts of the world to mine the gold, and what it means, though, is that when you start digging into the history of the city, you start finding bits and pieces of Jewish history alongside it, which uh, is, I think, fascinating. And uh, as part of that, I was doing a bit of a historical outing the other night, and I found a book 
called Secret Johannesburg, which has all sorts of sites uh, in Johannesburg, which even I, who have an interest in this, uh, I didn't know many of them. So I was fascinated by what there was, including an entry for something called Hitler's typewriter, which you can understand immediately I thought was fairly fascinating. So I looked it up. It turns out that Hitler had a typewriter that he used to use when he uh, was still living in, in Austria. And he used to type on it and, uh, and, and do whatever Hitler did on typewriters at the time. This was way before he became the Chancellor of Germany and, uh, you know, started, uh, the Nazi party. Uh, but he, he was on this typewriter. And, uh, he sold it before he left, uh, to go somewhere else, uh, cause he did move around as a kid. He sold it to uh, a friend of his called Joseph Matzner, uh, and Joseph then immigrated to South Africa. Now, I don't know if this is true, but the guidebook suggests that Joseph Matzner may have been Jewish. And, I mean, uh, they seem to think that that's a Jewish name. And I would actually really love your view if you think that Joseph Matzner is, in fact, a Jewish name. Uh, I don't know. 0618951019. Uh, you can SMS us on 34519. So Joseph Matzner has Hitler's typewriter. He comes to South Africa. And uh, I think he became a confectionery person of some description. And he lived here. And uh, I think eventually his daughter, then after he died, w- was selling off the typewriter. And it was purchased by Foxrus Bank, which was the main Afrikaans bank at the time. Interesting that they would consider it uh, a, a good idea to, um, you know, take in Hitler's typewriter. But nonetheless, that's what they did. And today, uh, that typewriter sits in a museum because what happened to Foxrus Bank is it then... Uh, Amalgamated with a whole other bank, bunch of other banks, and it became the Amalgamated Banks of South Africa, which you may know as EBSA. So EBSA Bank uh, was created, and as part of that, they had all of this different kinds of money, different kinds of share certificates, etc., from different parts of the world. And so, as a result, uh, they they then went and. Made it into a museum And so now you can go to The Absa Money Museum Which is in town It's open You can see different kinds of money You can see different uh, aspects of uh, The money system How we do things today How Absa does things today uh, Old banking checks All of that kind of thing And you can see Hitler's typewriter Which according to this particular historian Of the book that I read in Secret Johannesburg Although as I say I'm not completely convinced Was perhaps uh, a Something that he sold to his Jewish friend from Austria. So perhaps there is a secret there that we don't know about. Only history, time, and uh, maybe some other interpret historians uh, will let us know. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back just after this. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. 101.9 Chai FM, I'm Benji Shulman, and this is the new Blue Review. How are you doing out there? I hope you are having a fabulous Monday. And it is about to get even more fabulous because, of course, it is Eurovision uh, coming up this week. And normally I would not be that excited about Eurovision, I'll be honest. But it's in Tel Aviv this year, and uh, it's fantastic. It's going to be very, very cool. And already we're seeing signs up uh, in Hebrew and English um, promoting it and there's going to be a lot of parties out there i even saw a digital uh, campaign where it said good luck to all the eurovision 
uh, contestants. There was an English and underneath that said, ha ha, only joking. We're really supporting the local, uh, the, the, the local, uh, Kobe, who's the local, uh, Israeli contestant. Now, as, um, oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Before I carry on with that, um, I, I pronounce it Falks Rusbank. It's Falks Kusbank. Uh, someone has sent me that SMS. Thank you for that correction. Sorry. So now back to, um, uh, back to Eurovision. So of course Israel has won Eurovision at, uh, different times and has had quite a long history with the, the, with the contest. One of the things I didn't know though was that actually Israel decided not to host, um, the, uh, the Eurovision at one point because, uh, it, it won in 1978, uh, and, and then obviously they, they hosted it in, in Israel, but then it actually won that same year, uh, again. And, uh, as a result, um, they had to make a decision and the local, um, the local advertising TV, uh, um, authority, they, they, they said that they actually couldn't afford it. So that year it had to go to the Netherlands. And, and as a result, Israel didn't even send someone to, uh, to go and see it. Um, and so they, you know, that's, that's what they sort of had, to, uh, that's what they had to do. Um, they, you know, maybe Israel would have won it three times in a row. Who knows? Another piece of interesting history, which you may have known, was that, uh, back in the old day in 1970, old days in 1978, uh, Jordan wasn't having a peace treaty with Israel, so they were at war. And so they used to cut Israel's entry, uh, even though they used to play Eurovision so that you couldn't see it. But then they had a huge issue because Israel went and won, uh, the, um, the, um, they went and won the, how do you say, they won, won the competition. And so, uh, they actually, the local media in, 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 in Jordan actually crowned runner up Belgium, uh, as the winner instead, which is kind of crazy because you can't imagine that happening today with the internet. There was another interesting thing you might want to know is the Shelva band, which we'll be playing, was going to enter into uh, Eurovision this year, but because of Shabbat, they decided not to. Uh, it's a, uh, a band of special needs peop- uh, uh, participants, uh, musicians, and uh, they, you know, they were the ones that um, uh, were going to be, uh, you know, in in the in the in in the t- and they decided not to. So that was that was them. And of course, it's going to be a massive party. It's going to be Lila Levan. That is the White Knight. Uh, in terms of. Uh, that's something, it's like a big party that they have in, in Tel Aviv and Tel Aviv Eat Food Festival as well. So that is what is everything that is going to be coming up, uh, for, for, uh, Eurovision. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Uh, and we should, uh, all look forward to it. Brings us to the end of the show for today. Uh, thank you so much for everyone for being part of it and for engaging. And, uh, thank you to Mandy for uh, producing, to Vusi who does all the sound and to Craig who pushes all the big red buttons and in favor and in, in honor of uh, Eurovision, we've decided to play out using toy, which got us there in the first place from Neto Barlazai.